Welcome to episode 78 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany Lombas. And we are in Brittany's apartment in Pigeontown, New Orleans. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Yes. Brittany, it's been like a lifetime since the last time you and I recorded one of these. Yeah, it really has. We did a Mardi Gras between then and now. Yeah, I'm still like slowly recovering from it, even though it wasn't that intense. I just can't keep up with life. Yeah, I had like a you know cocoon period for like the week after where i did nothing else yes. i watched a few of the movies we're talking about today in that time oh, too nice. so hopefully i can remember back to that past life if you want to see pictures of what we did on mardi gras day uh, at the top of the page on swamp flicks there's a tab that says crew divine us and three other people dressed like various divine characters and walked around the french quarter and took pictures in the blinding sunlight <laughs> it was fabulous it was I, I had fun this year I think, like, every year we're getting, like, more and more, like, I don't know. It's like we're getting better at it, but I think we've always been really good at it of just being, like, comfortable and, like, it's so chill, but it's so exciting at the same time. I will say my makeup looked fucking horrendous the first year, but I was so proud of it at the time. It was great. No, it was. (laughs) Yeah. Looking back at it, I'm like, what did I do with my hair? Like, it's so flat. It's so not divine. It's like, but I think that was fun about the first year is like, we didn't really have like a particular divine we were looking like. We were just like, let's just wear wacky shit and like put divine makeup on our face and everyone fucking knew who we were. Yeah. So that was really cool. I looked like D. Snyder. Y- y'all nailed the look a little better than I did. <laughs> it was the hair. Yeah, yeah. It was the hair. It was the hair. Well. It's been long enough since Mardi Gras that we've been probably watching movies by now. I mean, yeah. it was a little thin back then, uh, last couple episodes we recorded. James can only talk about TV episodes he had been watching last time I talked to him. And I get it. I get it. I get into that. I'm into <laughs> it right now. Like, it's like, I'll I'll be like, you know, surfing to like find a movie to watch. But then I'll just have like so much stuff to do where I'm like, well, let me find like an episode of something. And then I get hooked on a series and I can't get out. And like... I've been hooked on Project Runway. I've never watched it before. Oh, there's like so many seasons of it, like dozens and dozens of seasons. I blew through like five seasons in a few weeks. It's so good. I did that too recently, and I was so in love with, um, oh shit, what is her name? Shanthrax. Shanthrax? She's tall and blonde and like a, a dork. I just described a tall blonde model. Are you talking about? Oh shit! I'm talking about America's, America's Knockout Model. Is that okay? <laughs> right, and I haven't watched that yet. But someone was like, "Oh, like you would love it if you liked Project Runway." My bad. <laughs> no, you're fine. This is making me want to watch it. I used to watch that one back in college. Project Runway. Yes. Yeah. Tim Gunn. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I like have been having his spirit inside of me like at work whenever people ask me a question and I don't know the answer to it. I'll just be like, make it work. <laughs> <laughs> kind of just mosey along. Um, but yeah. So anyways, uh, it's yeah, I get it. Um, it's hard to get out the TV phase sometimes. But you, me and James all took a heavy metal road trip down to Airby, yes. Louisiana. We saw the new Zeitgeist Theater opened. Yeah. It's like a 10 minute drive from the city. It's not that big of a deal. It's kind of nice. 
nice. Like, I liked how it wasn't, like, in with all... You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of out of the city. It's almost like a little trip, but not really. Yeah. It's nice. It's a breath of fresh air. And then we caught the bridge on the way back, which made it a longer trip than it had to be. Yes, but it was all about the (laughs) Arabi experience. Yeah, you got to stop and see the tugboats, you know? Yes. Better theater than the last one, I think. It's darker in there. The noise is dampened. You don't hear or see the cars passing on the streets outside. The sound was amazing. Yeah, I thought so too. It was very clear and the quality of like the projector was amazing too. And we saw the movie Lords of Chaos. Yes. So this is a biopic about the black metal band Mayhem, uh, which famously their breakup story involved a murder. Rory Culkin stars as the main guy and we watch him go from like a suburban well-loved nerd to building this like empire on like edgelord antics um, which involves like church burnings and advocation for murder and performative like nazism and satanism and everything that pisses off the majority of the population yeah Yeah, it's basically to make their parents mad totally the character rory culkin plays eventually gets in over his head because he uses all this stuff to promote his record label and his band uh, and then people in his audience start taking it too seriously. Like somebody kills themselves. Uh, someone else, you know, kills other people. Uh, they destroy like historic churches. Yeah. Like, and you know, it's kind of cool to see him. Like whenever all that starts to happen, where he realizes that people are taking all the shit he was saying, literally, like you can see these moments where he's sort of like, Oh fuck. But then like, he doesn't want to admit to it. Then he comes out and he's like, Great, that's what metal's all about. Because it's, it's good press. <laughs> right. He keeps worrying that he's going to get in trouble, but uh, it ends up just selling more records, and right. he like really likes the attention that it gets him. Right. I like the movie a lot. I thought it was really funny. It was hilarious, and so like on point of... You know, after, you know, listening to like, you know, podcast episodes about the story of mayhem and the church burnings and like reading articles and stuff like that about it. Whenever like I envisioned what they were like, they were so spot on. They're just like a bunch of like dorky kids that like live off their parents' wealth and just try to piss people off. Yeah, they're like online <laughs> trolls before yeah. the internet. It's so funny, but it's like you can still see like even if they're doing these horrible things, there's still like an innocence to them. Yeah. And maybe the movie cool. falls a little short there. Like it could be a little harder on the real people that the movie's about because we know that in real life they were even worse than right. what you're watching on screen. But they're already so miserable and hard to hang out with for two hours that like <laughs> I don't think it would make necessarily make for a better movie if it was like more true. I would have hung out with Euronymous, I think. But they definitely like made like Varg Vikernus the like Burzum. super villain. Or Burzum, yes. Yeah. Like this it's like this fucking monster even though like i mean they were all kind of monsters but they really kind of like tried to show how euronymous like went from being this like psycho power hungry asshole and then he kind of cut his hair kind of like how samson gets his hair cut and he like loses his strength yeah he like loses his metal a little bit (laughs) and then he like becomes really nice (laughs) and burzum is still like one of the biggest assholes in the history of metal like he still advocates for all this like nazi racist shit oh totally uh, now in the 2010s yeah Uh, and it's kind of amazing that he's gotten away with it for so long it's just insane like you know i I told you like he has like a youtube channel where he like video blogs about all kinds of shit all the time and you're like this guy fucking murdered somebody and like did a bunch of horrible shit and like here he is in the sunshine like 
with legions of fans with tons of fucking fans like chatting giving him what he fucking wants it's like it's just crazy and i feel like the movie just kind of gives them all a noogie for being a nerd like the yeah. movie's like you ain't shit you're from the suburbs you're just trying to make your parents mad and like <laughs> yeah. you actually believe in this stuff and just like gives the whole black metal community like a swirly and right uh it's really darkly funny like it's a fucked up movie but mm-hmm. i laughed a lot and oh yeah because it's it pokes fun at the metal um how was how do you describe the like metal snobs where yeah like gatekeepers. You know, oh this is pretty heavy and they're like actually it's blah 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 metal which is a subgenre of this blah 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 metal they should call death metal life metal since they're not actually metal at, at all <laughs> right it's like this is a norwegian black metal yeah no like real norwegian black metal <laughs> <laughs> Like fuck that gatekeeping personality, and the movie has no patience for it. Like it's it just too makes much fun to of keep them. up with. Yeah, yeah, it, it was very funny. I I really 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 liked it Me a too. lot. Well, yeah. What else have you been watching? I recently watched something a little lighter, but still pretty dark. Pumpkin, the Christina Ricci film from two thousand two. I never saw it either, but like. I'm sure if you saw the cover of this movie, you'd be like, I saw that at every fucking movie gallery and blockbuster I went to for years, and I just never rented it, which was my story. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I recently watched it, and it's like a dark comedy with heart, and it kind of left me feeling like, well, I, it left me not knowing how I should feel about it, which I like. So basically, Christina Ricci is this preppy girl in a sorority. And her sorority sisters want to win, like, the award for, you know, best sorority of the year or something like that. So in order to have a leg up on the competition, they decide to mentor a group of disabled athletes. And Christina Ricci's character is so, like, disturbed by that fact where she's like, we're what? And because she's from this, you know, high society, like, probably has never like gone within like five feet from someone who's like mildly handicapped. So she's like freaking out about it. And then she mentors this kid named pumpkin. And I mean, he's kind of like, he's in a wheelchair. He can walk. He's just kind of like a little wonky with his walk and he has like speech problems. And she ends up falling in love with him. What? (laughs) So she ends up like falling in love with him because he's so like pure and you know, everyone around her, like, I mean, which kind of speaks true to sororities and fraternities in general. Like, they're so fake where she just kind of has this, like, come to Jesus moment where she's like, I'm so tired of this fake life. Everybody's acting like everything's OK and it isn't. And Pumpkin kind of, like, has this cool connection with her and she really admires him for being, like, so authentic and genuine. And she kind of, like, leaves her jock boyfriend from the university to like kind of be with pumpkin and his mom is like so freaked out by that because she's one of those overbearing mothers where she's like oh you can't go outside by yourself like you're disabled and you know that girl's raping you because you can't speak for yourself like it gets really weird but it sounds almost (laughs) like a rom-com it was a lot like it takes a very con i don't want to say controversial subject but a sensitive topic of like relationships that are like you know one person isn't disabled one person is i don't know what the word for that is it's but, like a power imbalance in that yeah yeah and it's kind of gives it a like a but i'm not a cheerleader twist okay like it was a lot like but i'm not a cheerleader so it's where like reverently funny oh it's super funny it's very funny and it's very quirky and kind of john watersy 
she reminds me a lot of her character in Pecker oh, in this that, movie, yeah. which she's great in Pecker. I love seeing her like not a goth every now and then. Yeah. She didn't get to do that a lot, but she was always great in whatever she was exactly. doing. Exactly. So yeah. she's really good in here. Um, but I liked it. It was sweet. And I think it did make like a big statement where it kind of played on how like ridiculous it is that people give two shits about that. Yeah. You know, and um, it was nice how it did it. Like I didn't like after I watched it, I was like, should I have found that offensive? And I didn't at all yeah even though it sounds like it would be (laughs) right that's a very like thin line to toe yeah like i think and i like that where you know kind of like i'm gonna go back to the but i'm not a cheerleader i mean the whole um whatever what are those camps called Gay conversion therapy conversion therapy it's serious it's horrible it's disgusting but they put a fun twist on it to kind of like bring you in but it doesn't like make it any less insane yeah you know what i mean like it's almost a satire of how crazy it is and like when you're finished you're like this was really a thing this is so stupid yeah there's plenty of like grim dramas about those places that are yeah. like really fucked up yeah and then but i'm a cheerleader is still the best one of those right but and yeah there's like genuine emotion to it on top of it being so absurd too so So it really like you know you can't really fit it into a genre you can't really like put um one feeling on it which i liked i thought that was pretty cool so yeah i would totally totally recommend pumpkin i saw a movie set in a fraternity culture as well i should probably interject with that throw it in yeah because i fucking hate that stuff so much you might be interested in this i can't i don't know it's called pledge Okay. And it's from this year. It just had VOD. It's about 70 something minutes. And I'm putting that out front just to let you know that it's very short because Uh it's a very grueling film. Okay. It's a college fraternity rush where like three nerds that you're introduced in the first scene pledge to a fraternity and their hazing process quickly jumps from like regular hazing to like torture porn. Um, oh, and I don't like torture porn movies usually. Uh-huh. Uh, the the reason I usually don't like them is that they're like usually they got that like gross early two thousands like fluorescent lighting like green sickly look to them, and then also they're usually really misogynist. Like mm-hmm. it's usually like, really hot babes strapped to like chairs, and then you're not supposed to like the women, and then you watch them get tortured, and you feel better about seeing that happen. I don't know. Right. Uh, in this one, it's these boys that you actually kind of like. They're these like hopeless nerds. They have terrible sexual immaturity. Like Mm -hmm. they're like trying to get laid and they're trying to meet hot girls, but it's a pretty realistic version of like a college freshman boy in that way. Gotcha. They pledge to all these fraternities and all the frat bros take one look at them and like, you're weirdos. You're nerds. You don't belong here. Like we're not accepting you. And then this one fraternity and like the outskirts of town and the creepy woods uh, is like really accepting of them and like lures them in. So funny. Uh, And then he gets them drunk and gets them to pledge, right? So as soon as they start pledging, all the pretense is dropped. And they're basically just, like, beaten and branded and force-fed rotting food and, like, tortured with rats and, like, sleep deprivation. And it's horrific. The film was funded on a Kickstarter project. You're kidding. And it's really well done. Like, the dialogue and the performances are, like, way better than you would expect from a crowdfunded horror film. Yeah. And so is, like, the practical gore. Like, once they start branding their skin and, like, cutting them open and stuff, it's, like, actually really convincing and doesn't use... I don't remember any CGI. There might be a little, but it's a lot of practical effects gore and, you know, not a genre I usually like. And this has even been done before. This, like, fraternity torture porn thing has been done before in a movie called Goat and another one called Burning Sands. But I actually thought this one was, like, super effective and really impressive for, like, its budget. 
So if you're ever in the mood for something really short and really brutal, I thought Pledge was surprisingly good. I feel like I need to watch that because it almost reflects like what currently is going on in like society. Like you hear about all these I mean, most of them's guys that are like trying to they're getting hazed and they end up dying. Like how yeah. many like hazing deaths have we had in the past year? There's been so many. Yeah, they reference that for sure. And then it's cool because the the villains of the film are these like Brent Kavanaugh, Brock Turner types, these like all American handsome bros. They look God. like they were like airdropped from some eighties like, you know, post Animal House comedy. I feel like those types of like guys are I don't know, like if I see them on the street, like I run the other way. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm like creepy. you're so creepy. And like living so close to Tulane. Like, when I drive down Broadway, I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, it's like an apocalypse. You know, like, get away from my car. <laughs> Don't look at me. Well, this is that type as this, like, horror movie yes. villain. The true monsters yeah. that we need to watch out for. And they try to tie them into this, like, greater conspiracy network about, like, why they're torturing these guys. That Ooh. stuff is a little half-assed. But, okay. But, you know, it still it sounds fun. goes to show, like, rich people are connected. And if they fuck up and do something really evil, they can get away with it. Because there's, like, this really? network behind them. Huh. Yeah. I never thought of that. That rich people can I'm get away joking. with anything. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, it's so fucking true. <laughs> well, Pledge is really fucked cool. up and really short. Uh and it's awesome. one of the like more impressive horror movies I've seen so far this year. Dope. Well, um I actually watched a horror movie that is much older than this year. Okay. Um so I'm gonna piggyback off that. Yeah. It's pretty gross like that as well. Um <laughs> but it's a movie called Christina's House from nineteen ninety nine. And it's about this girl named Christina, and she lives in this house with her dad and her brother, and she starts to experience, like, weird shit going on in her house. Like, she kind of hears stuff, and there's, like, music playing and, like, footsteps, and she doesn't know what's going on, and she thinks she's going crazy because her mother is in, like, a mental institution, so she thinks that, like, oh, my God, am I, like, mom? I'm turning into my mom. Yeah, so it's, like, one of those things. But this movie is so fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> it's so dumb. Everybody is overacting. Like, their volume is turned up to, like, 11 whenever it doesn't need to be toned up that much. And, you know, she's, like, 17, but she's, like, really played by a very big-breasted 20-something-year-old woman, of course. So she's very sexualized throughout this whole movie. So she's like a virgin and she's afraid to like sleep with her douchebag boyfriend from high school. And he's very pressuring. He like crawls into her window uninvited. He's like always in her house. Like it's a, they have this gigantic fucking mansion. Like I don't know what this man does for a living, but huge fucking house that they're renting. And like the boyfriend is just like, you know, she'll be in the attic and he's in the attic. Like, hey, what are you doing? And she's like, why are you in my house? And her dad's kind of creepy. And her dad is, I can't think of his name, but he's Claude from the Hair Musical. He was in Deer Hunter. Uh, John Savage. Oh, okay. So he's already got like some Gary Busey teeth shit going on. And this is a fucking creepy looking guy too. Yeah. So her dad's kind of weird. And there's this weird handyman that hangs around that's a few years older than her. And like, is kind of like slow-ish. Not, I think he just like a, has a very like slow manner of speaking and he like lays his eyes low and you're thinking it's one of these people. Like it's one of them that's causing all this weird stuff that's fucking with her. And then a body comes up and they're like giant ditch in their front yard. And then stuff starts to get creepier. I didn't really like how they 
like her boyfriend's like, oh, your dad's weird. I think he's a little too overprotective of you. You know how he feels about you. And there's like a scene where she's climbing down from the attic and her dad like grabs her and like her dress flies up and her underwear is exposed. It's just very like uncomfortable. If you're going to go there, you have to go there all the way. You can't like kind of halfway do that. So then it's like, and then the boyfriend's fucking creepy because he's going in her house. And then this weird handyman that's hanging around and lurking is a little weird too. But you eventually find out that it's one of those guys. They're basically like creeping around in the walls of the house, kind of like people under There's the stairs so style. There's so many movies where that's the twist. With people in the walls. And they have like the whole house booby trapped. Like they'll pull a lever and then like this huge freaking Venus fly trap of like saw blades opens up. Or the doors all become locked. Or music starts playing. I could name like five movies with that twist right now and it would be spoilers for all of them. And I usually like it. Like, I usually like that twist. If you like it, you'll like this movie because I feel like the entire budget went to the booby trap house. Everything else fucking sucks. And the girl that plays Christina, I can't think of any other movie she's been in, but she is like so terrible. And there's like a scene where she wakes up at like three in the morning and it's like a fever dream where she gets up and she's like panicking. And the first thing she does is like opens up her drawer on her, like her bedside table and looks for her diary and it's not there. Who does that? That's very odd. And then she's like, where's my diary? And then she wakes up her brother and she's like, do you took my diary? And she's like in her underwear with like her like wife beat shirt with no bra on um, and then the dad comes in and he's like, what's going on? And she's like, he stole my diary. And then they go in the room and he's like, it's there. It was, it's just like a weird stuff like that. That's a pretty odd time for movies not to be more expensive than that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, like late nineties era had a lot of big budget horror movies, like after screen with like, uh, I'm trying to think of like famous people off the top of my head, like, uh, Freddie Prince Jr. And like yes. Sarah Michelle Geller and stuff like that. It's just weird for you not to be naming off like all these teen stars that were in it. And it doesn't sound like a big budget horror movie in that way. It's like a wannabe big budget horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it was going to be like that. I thought it was going to be like really cool. Like but Urban it... Legend or. Yeah. Oh, God. I love those movies. What's the one we watched? You made me watch for this show. Um, Valentine. That was great. Yeah. I thought it was going to be something like that because the cover like looks like that. Like it looks like, you know, Hole or Valentine. All these like cool Ooh, what? things. Hole? The hole or hole or the hole. I need to look that up. I never heard of that. Oh, we should watch it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. good. This was just really bad. There's really no redeeming qualities of it. Like, I don't know. It wasn't exciting. And all the, I can't even get to all like the subplots and stuff like that because they didn't make sense and nothing ever came of them. So that's it for Christina's house. Um, It's shitty. <laughs> I it. would never watch it again. <laughs> and it was a complete waste of my time. So, um, but what else have you been watching, Brandon? Hopefully something better than Christina's house. I would say I saw the best movie I've seen so far this year. Maybe the first like five star film Damn. of the year. I give those out like candy though. <laughs> <laughs> In the theater right now, there's a film called Climax. Okay. Have you heard of this? I haven't at all, actually. I want you to rush to see this this week if you can. Okay. Because it's playing at AMC okay. and it's not going to be there after Thursday. Oh, that's a great sign. Uh, it's dying. <laughs> I do not know why A24 pushed it out as far as it did. Oh, it's an A24? Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I cannot think of an A24 movie that I didn't like, so... I can only think of one, but a lot of people liked it more than I did. Which one? First Reformed. I, I liked it. Yeah, I didn't. Gotcha. We it was already only had, the, we already had this favorite argument. movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was okay. 
So this one is from this like edgy shock lord guy uh, named Gaspar Noé. Uh, who I usually don't like. A lot of his movies have to do with like sexual assault in this like really gross way, and this one does too, admittedly. So, if like rape is a automatic no, skip it. Which usually it is for me. Yeah. And usually in his movies, he like dwells on it. In this film, it's not. It's more implied than shown. Okay. In this one, this is the first movie from him I've ever truly loved. Wow. It's set in this remote dance hall uh, in France and. This group of young experimental dancers mm-hmm. are having their rap party. They've been in this like remote gymnasium type facility for like three days straight, just practicing a routine. And the movie opens more or less uh, with you watching the routine. Like you watch them dance for like 20, 30 minutes solid. And it's all this beautiful like voguing, like drag dance uh, with hip hop mixed in there and like some more traditional dance styles. And it's all like choreographed in this really beautiful way. It's like overly sexualized and it's really hip and modern and sleek. So French. It's great. Uh, And there's this giant (laughs) French flag in the background made of sequins. Uh, (laughs) It's like, it's almost like sarcastically patriotic. I think they even say something like, uh, the producers of this film present a French film and proud of it. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, or like, and fucking proud of it. They might even put like an expletive in there. Uh, <laughs> and what happens at this party is they figure out pretty quickly that their behavior is escalating in this not normal way. Like it starts as a party where people are sort of splitting off into groups and talking after this like big dance number. And there's like a big open dance floor where they can like dance for fun but the behavior just starts getting more erratic and they figure out that someone spiked their sangria with a absurd dose of LSD. Whoa. So everyone's locked in this isolated theater or isolated like gymnasium in this like snow covered rural area. So there's nowhere to go. If you go outside, you'll freeze to death more or less. And they're stuck inside all tripping balls and it just gradually gets more and more violent because no oh one was prepared God. for this trip. And it's like obviously a lot of LSD. Unlike what you might expect from like a lot of acid movies, there's not like trippy visuals or anything. It's just you watch people's behavior get worse and worse and worse oh. as they lose sight of reality. The dancing gets weirder. Uh, at one point, the lights go out. So that's like this really just like strobe lit, dark haunted house almost where everyone's tripping and horny and violent and people die and people have sex and just human depravity for like an hour straight. So I see why it's not in theaters or is not going to be in theaters for much longer because people don't usually like that kind of stuff, but that sounds fabulous. It makes total sense to me that it opened abroad and I would not be surprised if it had a two or three week run abroad. The fact that it opened at AMC is fucking insane. Like it reminds (laughs) me when I saw the neon demon there is it the one in Elmwood? Yes, yeah, Elmwood. Yeah, they always like kind of have some quirky shit thrown in every now and then. I saw it Friday night, and it was the same thing as with Neon Demon, where the two of us, me and Cece, were like a fifth of the crowd cool. in like a giant amphitheater. It was crazy. But <laughs> highly recommend it. It's kind of like that movie We Are the Flesh. I was talking about that like incest picture, that like incest horror where they're like trapped that in a cave I and like tripping bring balls. Myself to watch. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> This is like that, but like as a dance party. Maybe that'll get me prepped for We Are the Flesh if I see... Because I feel like I can handle climax. That sounds cool. So I could do a climax and then come home and then watch We Are the Just Flesh. unwind with some We Just Are the unwind, Flesh. unwind. Like get some of that, that post-Mardi Gras stress away. 
And this one uh, just has this like propulsive dance beat that just does not stop throughout the entire picture. Is it like a, that kind of stuff? Kind of. It, it changes. It, it changes. Okay. And there's some like 80s needle drops in there. Oh, and fun. It's just a really fun, over-the-top, exploitative piece of trash. Ew. And I usually don't love that from Noe, but I loved it this time. So... I don't know. I'm pretty sure by now you could tell whether or not that would be your bag. Uh, That's my bag. I think you would like That's it. That's awesome. I never would have like known that this existed until like it would have been on like Canopy or some shit. Yes. I'm going to watch it. I recommend going to see it in, just at AMC just for the absurdity of hearing it loud and seeing it oh, big. Like, yeah. Because it's such an over-the-top obnoxious picture that it kind of has to be seen in that environment. I might do that. I love going on like a Friday evening because like everybody goes to like see the bigger shit. So, like, there's not going to be a lot of people there, and I can, like, get, like, some takeout and just, like, have, like, a feast in my pajamas in the, like, top corner of the theater. I love doing that. I wouldn't be surprised if Wednesday's the last night for this movie. Like, th- this Wednesday? Yeah. Oh, I think oh, it'll so be gone already. Quickly. Yeah. Okay. Like, one week run. But it's the first movie I've truly loved from this year. There's a few movies I've liked a lot so far, okay. but that was the one that was, like... I'll be talking about that all year. The only movie I've seen in theaters this year, I think, is Lords of Chaos. Yeah? I haven't, I haven't gone to the movie theater I like that one a lot, too. So I loved it. Okay. Go see Climax. Cool. And today we're going to be talking about more 2019 movies, but not quite as fresh. We're going to be talking about two movies that were like a big hubbub in January, and that's the Dueling Fire Festival documentaries. Yes. Speaking of parties that ended disastrously... <laughs> No one spiked the sangria at Firefest, but and it uh, was real. <laughs> not not very different than Climax. Um, yes. Yeah. That's a great connection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Colvin, man, we got to get this sucker done, though. Seriously. Last night, man, I was so drunk, I was calling Morocco, man, calling, trying to get to the Hotel Hilton at Tangiers in Casablanca, man. That's, I mean, that's that's pathetic, man. Is that what you want to do with your life? Suck down peppermint schnapps and try to call Morocco at two in the morning. That's senseless, but that's what happens, man. And now it's time for our movie of the minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And it was my turn to pick this time. And I went with a documentary directed by Chris Smith, who also directed one of the Fire Festival documentaries. Whoa, I didn't know that. And like I said earlier, like these conversations were already had back in January. One of my favorite podcasts, Next Picture Show, since we talked about doing this, already did an episode comparing these like same documentaries, his Firefest documentary and, and American movie. I feel like it's a big thing. Oh oh I thought you meant like both Firefest documentaries. So uh, they compared it to American movie? Yeah, just oh. they do like a uh then and now kind of thing where oh, they like pick an cool. older movie and a newer and yeah. Interesting. But this one I felt like it was still worth revisiting. I, I didn't love it the first time I saw it because I expected it to be funny and it's actually like incredibly sad. There's definitely a lot of humor in it, but it's a really sad, grim story. About this like small time artist named Mark Beauchart. He is from Wisconsin and he is a amateur filmmaker. He mostly writes these like radio plays and makes these short films, but he has dreams of making his first feature. This movie was filmed in 96 and 97 and released at Sundance in 99. Uh, I think it won Grand Jury Prize for Best Documentary, too. So it was well-received when it first came out. Didn't, like, Roger Ebert really, really dig it? Yeah. There's, like, a picture of him and um, what's-his-face together. Mike? Mike Mike Shank? Uh, Not Mike Shank. Oh, Or Mark Beauchart. Mark Beauchart. Yeah. Yeah, they're, like, together. It's the most bizarre picture ever. (laughs) 
That's beautiful. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So his scheme in this film, and this is mostly what we're watching, is he doesn't have the funds to complete the feature film, which is called Northwestern yet. So what he wants to do is complete a short that he already started called Coven, which is how he pronounces Coven. Coven. <laughs> this is an accent. I thought it was like a guy's name until like, I'm like, they've been saying Coven. That's like a weird dude's name. And then they were like, oh, you're mispronouncing it. I'm like, oh, fuck, it was Coven yeah. the entire time. So his plan is, okay, I'm going to finish Coven uh-huh. and I'm going to make money off of that. Uh, by selling these VHS tapes on like the like like three thousand copies yeah. for fifteen bucks a pop, and then use that money to fund Northwestern, and to fund Coven, he's borrowing money from several places. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is from his like very elderly uncle who could not give less of a shit about movies and yeah. just wants to be left alone to die. <laughs> and the other place is he is way in over his head in credit card debt. I think the first scene in the movie is Mark. Just sort of listing off all the like credit card bills he's not paying. And then he like gets a new credit card in the mail and he's like, sweet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie's funny because he's like this sort of amateur filmmaker with these like really big dreams. And there's kind of like a comedy of errors and like him trying to achieve these like lofty goals and sort of failing at them. But it's also really sad because he's like an alcoholic mm-hmm. with like kids who don't really like feel that kind to him that they call him like pee pee daddy when he shows up. <laughs> like. <laughs> They don't really share in his, like, movie-making dreams. It just sort of keeps them away from him, uh-huh. you know, because he's always busy working on the movies, not being at home. Right. He has a stoner buddy named Mike Shank, who is a total dreamboat. I love Mike so much. <laughs> he scares the shit Mike? out of me. <laughs> oh, man. Mike used to be an alcoholic, and he's sober now. And he's just kind of a simple, sweet guy. To him. I don't know. It just, like, I can't read him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that's what scares him. me. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what he really is thinking. But he seems really sweet and, like, right. zen. And yeah, he's just sort right. of, like, just wants to have fun. Like, just a, an innocent soul. Like, just kind of, like a kid, almost. He's very childlike. Yeah. And we get Mark drunkenly yelling at the Super Bowl and then trying to drink more and getting his sober buddy, Mike, to, like, pay for beer and... <laughs> Just yelling about like how tragic it would be to have a normal nine to five job when really that's what he needs to be doing. Right. Because he has little kids. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of like the um, like failure story version of Matt Farley, who we've been talking about recently. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be doing um, Local Legends for Movie of the Month next month, which is the yes. Matt Farley picture. Matt Farley's like the success version story of this, right? Like he had right. a daytime job and he was making movies on his free time and gradually he's flipped that around where like making movies is his job, but that took like decades of work. Right. Uh, Mark doesn't really have that kind of follow through. <laughs> no. He like drinks on set while he's filming stuff and just doesn't have the like work ethic to really pull it together. Right. And his dreams just don't really match like the effort and the funds that he has to complete the pictures. And so he just sort of like goes around in circles and doesn't really advance in any way. So even as like quirky as the movie can be and funny in that way, we're like Mike Shank trying to play guitar blindfolded or, uh, ripping off black Sabbath. Yeah. (laughs) Poor thing. That kind of thing is funny, but the overall larger story about this like alcoholic who can't achieve his dreams is pretty grim. Terribly sad. What did you think of, like, American Movie as a movie, though? To be honest, I totally thought it was a mockumentary. Oh, no. For the majority (laughs) of it. I did not think these were real people. So you were laughing the whole time. I was 
cracking up and then like i realized it was like these were real people because i think like mike shank like i'm like there's no way that this guy it was like fucking flight of the concords like with the two of them i'm like there's no way this is real and then it kind of feels like a timepiece because yeah it was like mid 90s but why is he still wearing coke bottle glasses it feels like it was filmed in the late 80s right but i guess that's just wisconsin is so far from like and it's a small town like i'm from a small town and we're like fucking 10 years behind with everything yeah so i kind of get that like i know people who have homes that like half my family's homes look like his mom's house right (laughs) with like wood panel walls and all that crazy shit oh he has such a sweet swedish mom too she's great so supportive yeah but she's like so i love her because she's like so blunt with him too she calls him out on his shit but she doesn't hate him (laughs) (laughs) what a great mom but i really did like it you just thought it was a comedy (laughs) i thought it was a comedy and i felt like then like so what i did is i watched it a few days ago thinking it was a mockumentary and then when i realized it wasn't after reading up on it i was like i need to watch that again and then i watched it again through that lens of like this is real and it was so sad (laughs) i understand like his dreams and he really wants to get this accomplished and this like means so much to him like it's almost like his life will have meaning if he finishes this so i really felt for him in that way but then at the same time it's like whenever he kind of was going through his bills and he was saying how he's like 3600 in debt towards child support and he has these three kids that he he doesn't really connect with and then i don't know i just kind of felt bad for like you know his ex-girlfriend that has to like carry all this on her shoulders without his help while he's like making a movie yeah i don't know if that makes me sound like an asshole but i I was kind of like you have i mean it sucks but like you did the deed you have responsibilities they should come before your like project. It feels like him, you know? you know, stuck in his twenties almost. Like he had all these dreams in his twenties that didn't come to fruition. Well, and I thought he was. And he young. never moved on. I thought he was like in his twenties too, because just the way he looks, like he kind of looks like a, like just like a cool like art student. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he could be a, a college dude, and then like the girl that he's with looks like I thought it was his mom. Mm-mm. Like she looks way older. So then I'm like, he's probably way older than I think he I think is. He was in his mid thirties, maybe. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. She just dressed weird, so it made her look older. <laughs> I don't think she's probably that old. But yeah, so it kind of, I don't know. It's like I don't know if I like, I it's like I empathize with him a little bit, and then I kind of like have anger towards him a little bit. I just kind of have like a lot of emotions towards him. And he like doesn't do right by the people who are collaborating with him. Yeah. Like not only, you know, not respecting Mike Shank's sobriety is one part. Right. There's another part where he's driving one of his paid actors head through a cabinet that he thought. That, oh my God. Uh, would just break. Cause they like scored the backside of it to like of make a, it break easier. This fucking thick ass cabinet. That poor man. Probably gave this guy a concussion to be honest. And then like, yeah, like he did it twice and then he punched it with like all his force and it barely budged. And he's like, Oh yeah, we should probably like scorch this a little deeper. And they took like a fucking like saw, like electric saw to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if he wasn't pounding beer while filming, he would, he would notice yeah. stuff like that. It's interesting. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I've never been to Wisconsin. I don't know people from Wisconsin, but from what I've heard, they're like very, like really nice people. Mm -hmm. And everyone that he's surrounded with is so nice. Like all the people who are helping him like accomplish this film and like the actors and everyone giving their time, you know, they're not getting paid shit. 
you yeah, know, very little. Yeah, if yeah. anything. And they're all doing it and like they're not bitching about it. They're just like really happy about it. And then like when the film actually opens up, he's got this huge line of people there like to support him. Like yeah. the whole town's out there. It was it was so heart like that was heartwarming to me. But the alcoholism was sad. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the mix of those like really sweet Midwestern accents. I'm like it's Northwestern, but you know, those like sweet accents. <laughs> right. And then mixed with if they show footage of all like the amateur short films he's been made in over the years mm-hmm. and they're all like hyper violent, like <laughs> really bloody, uh, like practical gore kind there's of stuff. Like, my favorite one was um, there's like a kid who's like raking leaves and then like a guy is buried in the leaves and comes out and like stabs him in the back. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch any of Coven at the end of the film? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's I okay. Liked Coven. Yeah. yeah. It was good. <laughs> It's okay. I don't know if it was worth all the like grief that you watched leading up to it. You know what? It It wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) It really wasn't. Oh, but yeah. And and like you said, like they probably could have made Coven like in much shorter time, but like he had no focus. Right. Like he was kind of all over the place. And I loved how his mom like helped film. Oh, yeah. She like. Isn't that sweet? Can't. She didn't know there was a viewfinder on the camera for like minutes. It was driving him insane. Classic mom move. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so funny. But what else was I going to say about this movie? Oh, Uncle Bill. Yeah, the uncle who's sort of Uncle draining Bill. of his like savings. <laughs> I The one thing I appreciated, and his name's Mark, correct? Yeah. I get Mark and Mike confused because they're two like M's and they're like really short names. So Mark, <laughs> I liked how he... At least what was on camera, how he kind of helped Uncle Bill. So it's not like he took his money and was like, yeah, fuck you. He actually, like, you know, gave him baths and gave him like took peppermint him out to schnapps eat for and his spray. Birthday. Yeah, yeah, I brought him to eat for his birthday, washed his clothes for him, <laughs> went visit him. I don't think giving him peppermint schnapps and then putting him in a bathtub was the best and idea. him by himself. Yeah. <laughs> I drowned. was so nervous. <laughs> yeah. And like his girlfriend's like, oh, you might be drowning in there. <laughs> like, Who's watching him? Oh, I'm watching him. And they're like, oh, ha, ha, ha. No, you're like, drinking in the kitchen with me right now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And um, they're talking about like his his like gnarly toenail in the bathtub. Oh, sick. <laughs> so gross. But yeah, um, I liked um, Uncle Bill. I think he's my favorite character. It's all right. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> he's just you old. have something to live for. <laughs> Jesus told me so. <laughs> that scene is torture. He just he, he's got Uncle Bill outside in this like car having him repeat this like one line over and over again until he can get it correctly. And there's just dozens and dozens of takes cuz Uncle Bill does not give a shit about yeah, this I thought, movie. I thought Uncle Bill was going to get a shotgun to this guy's head at some point. Like I'm so surprised that Uncle Bill didn't kill him before he died. Yeah. And instead, he died and left Mark all this money to like complete Northwestern. Fucking fifty grand, which I don't think ever happened. I don't think Northwestern ever existed. He reminds me of like all the old men in my family, where like you think that they're broke as fuck, but they're so cheap. Like he has like he's like I think I have two hundred eighty grand, and he's like living in squalor, but he's just like whatever. This is life. <laughs> I love that because I feel like if I had that much money, I probably wouldn't buy anything cool yeah. with it. I'd probably still live in this. I might Shit travel more than hanging out in my like trailer, but yeah, yeah. I'll probably get I'll probably get a trailer. I love trailers. I love I'm obsessed with like um, mobile home floor vents where you can just like sit on it like in the summertime or put your face on it <laughs> while like the air comes out of the floor. My little trailer dreams were <laughs> were sparking throughout this movie. That uh, Babs Johnson lifestyle, you know. Yes, I liked Uncle Bill's setup though. But anyways, I liked him a lot. I liked his story, and I think it was cool that like you know he probably. 
I mean, this movie was pretty successful, this documentary, so mm-hmm. I don't think he probably would have guessed that it would, you know, people would be talk like, we'd be talking about him. So yeah. it's kind of like, oh, it's nice, you know, he has some kind of, like, um, something honoring his memory. Yeah, and, you know, Mark probably thought of this movie as a way to promote Coven and Northwestern, you know, to make them more successful. But since Coven and Northwestern never really took off, this movie sort of is his legacy. Right. Uh, and it is, like, a very relatable story about like what it's like to be a small time artist with no money trying to pursue your dreams. Uh, I don't feel like I'm quite as in over my head financially or with alcohol, even though I'm drinking as I'm recording this podcast right now, I've had a nice cider. Whoa. I know I'm, I'm Such a out of control. <laughs> I, I do relate to him somewhat, even though there's like a more extreme version of what we're doing. Like his passions, obviously real. Like, yeah. You know, I like small amateur horror movies. I'm glad he's out there making them. Yes. Uh, I just wish that he, you know, could do other things in his life at the same time. <laughs> oh, one more thing I wanted to mention that I thought was so crazy. So his friend, Mike, Mike Shank, <laughs> my, my dream boy, Your, Brandon's <laughs> dream boy, dream boat boy. So he goes to like AA meetings and the lady that like, drives him is like feeds into his like growing gambling addiction with scratch off tickets Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he like my favorite part of this whole thing is when he comes in to like i don't know if it's a party or thanksgiving Thanksgiving, yeah and he's like (laughs) like smiling very innocently (laughs) and he's like well like you're feeling good tonight and then like when he has his like one-on-one with the camera He's like, I just won $50 in the scratch off, but I'm not going to tell anyone because I don't want them to borrow money from me. Yeah, because as soon as Mark finds out, he wants Mike to spend all his lottery money oh on my booze. God, poor thing. Yeah, it's so fucked up. Um, but it's, I don't know if it's like a Wisconsin thing, but one of the scratch offs, he was like, oh, I got like two matching numbers and a potato. Like, <laughs> it was probably some kind of like vegetable themed yeah. scratch off. Beautiful. Yeah, well, I'm glad you, you got enjoyment out of it. It was good. I I'm, liked I'm it. sorry it wasn't fake. Uh, I could see like a best in show, like Mighty Wind type version Absolutely. of this Absolutely. No, that like, that's what blew me away. I think that's what made me appreciate it more because I'm like, whoa, this is real. This is real shit, real time, real people, real yeah. situations. Holy shit. Whoa. Well, let's talk about Chris Smith's next movie, the one he did this year. That also should be a mockumentary. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely should not be real, but it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It was over before it really began. The site of what was supposed to be a music fest in paradise on lockdown. VIP guests stranded after paying thousands of dollars for an island getaway turned disaster, now home, without enjoying the glamour promoters of the doomed fire festival promised. So back in January, there were these two fire festival documentaries that came out at the exact same time. Insane. And there's already been a lot of coverage about these two things, so I hope yeah. we are not too redundant today. Fire Festival 2017. <laughs> Remember it? Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> Memories? Uh, it was a festival that was meant to promote this app. Uh, the app was supposed to be a disruption to the concert booking industry the same way that Uber and Lyft disrupted the cabbing industry. It's supposed to let you book bands and models and all kinds of things directly, like talent you could book through this app. Without a middleman. I I actually could see that app being useful. What's not useful is the way they promoted it, which was this festival that promised this, like, 
luxury getaway on an island in the Bahamas, quote unquote, once owned by Pablo Escobar. Yeah. And as the story goes, all these like rich kids showed up on this island and it was just a complete fucking disaster. None of the bands were there. Their accommodations (laughs) were not these like villas they were promised, but rather these like basically hurricane relief tents. They were eating like cheese and bread. Yeah. The uh, (laughs) infamous cheese sandwich that was tweeted out. It was pretty much what did the festival in. That was like the last nail in the coffin. So great. So there's like a back and forth there between like laughing at all these rich kids for being duped. Right. And also feeling bad for all the people who pitched in to try to make this festival happen, especially the people in the Bahamas. Right. Who didn't get paid for their labor because it was all called off. And the, uh, Mogul, who's behind the app and the festival, Billy McFarland, is currently on trial for fraud because he promised all this stuff that just he knew he could not deliver. Jesus And he thought he could pull it off until the last second. So what happened was there's these two documentaries that were made in tandem about it. One was for Hulu, and it's called Fire Fraud. And that one was released almost out of nowhere. Like, there was a better promoted one for Netflix, Mm -hmm. directed by Chris Smith, who directed American Movie that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And right before that one was about to drop on Netflix, the Hulu one was rushed and beat it to the punch by, like, a few days. Hulu was released on January 14th, and then January 18th is when the Netflix one was released. So it's super close. And supposedly the Hulu one was supposed to be, like, a series, like a miniseries first. And then it was sort of rushed and, like, trimmed down to, like, one episode which I can't imagine this being doled out any faster. So I don't oh, know how God. early in the process that idea was. Since January and since these were covered, there's been a few new developments. Basically, Hulu and Netflix have been firing shots back and forth. Netflix fired a shot saying like, oh, Hulu was unethical because it paid Billy McFarlane for access to his archives and for this interview. So right. this guy who is a fraud is making money off of this documentary about his fraud. Right. And Hulu fired back saying... Well, fuck Jerry, who is this company that was paid to promote Fire Festival and just as like fraudulent as Billy McFarlane is producers on yeah. Netflix. And even more recently in the last few weeks, uh, there's been rumors that fuck Jerry had final cut on the film. So uh. the Netflix documentary is unethical because fuck Jerry has input on how good they they look coming out of it. And I did read something too about like um like Hulu was aware that Netflix was doing theirs and they knew that Jerry Media was doing it. So they throw a lot like Hulu talks a lot about how like Jerry Media is so involved with this and they're so shitty like mm-hmm. just as bad as Billy. So there's a lot of focus on that in the Hulu one, and there's, like, no talk about it, really, in the Netflix one. And then also recently, there's been, you know, laws about influencers on Instagram who help promote this (laughs) festival. They have to, like, hashtag, like, Like paid ad or endorsement or whatever. Also, I think just yesterday they announced that um, a lot of, like, official fire merch, so, like, T-shirts and like fanny packs and visors and things that were supposed to sell at the festival the way you would buy any festival merch. Um, That stuff is being auctioned now to benefit people in the Bahamas. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And there's also been a Kickstarter campaign for a few of the people who really Uh got ripped off, especially this lady who basically did all of the catering for all these hundreds of people. had like the Exuma like bar and grill and... Yeah, her story, I think, was, like, the most heart-wrenching one, but I'm glad she got her money back and more. Yeah, through Kickstarter. So, a lot has happened since January. So much, so much. And I'm sure we'll get into it more generally as Mm -hmm. we, like, talk about these two movies. Right, right. But I want to ask you just up top, between the two films, you have the Netflix movies called Fire, The Greatest Party That Never Happened, and the Hulu one is called Fire Fraud. 
Did you have a strong preference between these two films? Which one is better? A hundred percent fire. The greatest part that never happened. Me too. That one was so well done. Um, even though it's like produced by Jerry Media, but it was it was such a great documentary. Like they did it right, I and I so think agree. they focused on the things that they were supposed to focus on. So yeah, I guess we could talk about the Hulu one maybe, and how like why I didn't like that one. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we could start there. I mean, I just want to double back and say yeah. I agree because sweet good. I feel like a lot of the narrative has been that they're both worth watching and they're both good. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, no. I think you could watch the Netflix one, get the full story and just be done with your day. Because I watched the Netflix one before I even knew there was a Hulu one. And I watched the Hulu one and I was like, oh, God, I really don't care. I don't care either. <laughs> yeah. Like the thing that bothers me the most about the Hulu one is that it's so focused on Billy. They don't really interview a lot of the people in the Bahamas that were ripped off and get their perspective. I mean, there's kind of that, but not so much where like the Netflix one is really involved with like the people who got fucked over that were working for the festival. It really gets their perspective. It gets the perspective of like the natives of the island that got fucked over. And it talks about how the festival became a mess where like fire fraud, the first one to come out, that one's very about like why Billy is the way he is. And I'm like, he's a spoiled fucking brat that probably never had consequences growing up, which is why he thinks he could do whatever he wants and he has no empathy and he fucked a bunch of people's lives over. Cool. I don't give a shit. His psychology is not that interesting. He's (laughs) not a complicated guy. Exactly. I'm like, it focused way too much on him, period. That wasn't even my problem. And you're right. Like they're, you know, the difference, what makes them different from Netflix is they have this interview with Billy that they keep going back to. Right. And it's almost this like Dateline 2020, like, gotcha. Yes. They got like, they got him on the spotlight. And then like the way they build it up is like when Billy was a boy, he was so smart and he made businesses. And I'm like, cause he had the resources to do yeah. it. It's not like he, I mean, I'm sure if any kid had fucking rich parents they were like hey i want to start a crayon business they'd be like okay billy here's like 10 grand you can start one in your you know kindergarten class so it kind of just focused on that and it it almost like felt i felt like it was trying to make us empathize with him i don't know did you get that i kind of got that i thought i I like trying to make him seem more dark and mysterious and like smarter than he was like in the netflix one he's this day drinking buffoon who like blacks out drunk <laughs> in the middle of the yeah and i i buy the buffoon theory a yeah. lot more than i buy this like criminal mastermind theory oh totally he's just like a he's like we're talking about like frat boys earlier oh my god oh my god 100 percent. well his partner in crime uh, is ja rule the american <laughs> rapper Crazy. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. And the two of them toast every party with the same frat bro. Uh, oh, gr- I hate it, but you can say it. Uh, let me let me say read it. it off the paper. <laughs> Here's to living like movie stars, partying like rock stars, and fucking like porn stars. And then they all cheers their champagne. And it's like, oh, I've met you people um, when I lived in, ba- in Baton Rouge and went to LSU. Like, <laughs> I'm very familiar with this behavior. Ja Rule, you are too old to be doing any of this shit. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Doesn't he have, like other things to do like this is what blew my mind is like i mean i like like ja rule's music but mostly his like duets with j-lo and she obviously like leads that yeah so 
I don't know. I wonder what this did to his career. If he's more of a throwback artist, like, you know, if he comes to town, I guess like that's his like crowd now is like, so, you know, fraternity dudes who are like, yeah, Ja Rule, cool. Like he's doesn't really have like a lot of like good cred in the hip hop community, I think, where like, and now it's like, you're just like an old fucking frat boy. Well, it seems like so far Ja Rule and Fuck Jerry and everyone else involved has sort of skated responsibility and a lot of like the fraud charges are falling on Billy McFarlane's shoulders. Right. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that, too. And I'm like, God, Jarrell's just so stupid. But I, I want to get to, like, what I was saying earlier. Like, so the Hulu one is separated because it has this interview stuff. Right. But I think it's also different because it doesn't even feel like a documentary to me. Like, it's not about what happened. It's got this sort of, like, macro view where it's trying to use Fire Festival uh-huh. for, like, this essay about what millennials are like. And, like, what influencer culture is and, like, what's wrong with online culture in the 2010s. And it uses all these clips from, like, Family Guy and The Office and Parks and Recreation (laughs) and, like, trash memes off the internet to sort of, like, define our generation. And, one, I, as someone who is a millennial, did not identify with anything they were concluding from that data, quote-unquote. And then, two, just wasn't really – it just felt pointless. Like – the Netflix movie tells this story from, like, A to B. Like, it tells, like, from the app being formed to the disaster of the festival, and then afterwards, the scams that he was trying to pull when he was already on trial for fraud. Crazy. And it just tells this, like, very clear, concise story. It's easier to follow. Yeah. And the Hulu one, by contrast, yeah. Fire Fraud, that one is trying to tell the story of, like, a generation and, like, trying to define these, like, larger ideas. And they're just not as interesting. Well, maybe because, like you said, I didn't know this, but about the whole miniseries, maybe they just, like, rushed. It felt very rushed and I it didn't so make too. a lot of sense. Maybe that's why. Maybe they were, like, going to do the miniseries thing. So they kind of had it spread out and they just, like, put it all together in a really shitty way. That is almost more ambitious, though, right? Like, maybe besides the fact that it's rushed, mm-hmm. but, like, it's more ambitious to use this festival as an example to make this like larger point like this essay film and i really like some of the creepy internet stuff they do there's a lot of like creepy websites scrolling like oh yeah that's my trash shit right there yeah Uh, when is a ghost gonna come out yeah yeah exactly but (laughs) fire fest it it really just doesn't come together even though it's more ambitious it's not as successful i'm gonna give it one thing though one thing that came from fire fraud that kind of like made me like well take a step back was was her name anastasia a model that started dating him after the fire fraud shit happened. Like what is up with this chick? Yeah. And she was basically saying like, I'm sure his heart was in the right place. And um, I'm sure he didn't know. I found that a little bit fascinating. Well, he's a scam artist. So he told some version of this story to her. I'm sure if she watched these two documentaries where she had facts <laughs> and not like his carnival Barker like right. version of the truth. Unless but- she's just as crazy as he is. And then together they're like this like insane duo and they're gonna scam people forever i don't want to be too hard on her i feel like if you date somebody like for a few months you really don't know who that person is right you can get scammed pretty easily from somebody you just (laughs) met probably a victim plenty of lifetime movies have started with someone getting scammed in a relationship (laughs) this would be a great lifetime movie like anastasia and billy (laughs) i also think this would be a great horror film yes because the footage especially in the netflix movie showing you how quickly it went from all these people arriving at a festival and yeah. just sort of like seeing like, oh, this is not what I was a promised. It feels like within an hour, it turned into like Lord of the Flies. Okay. So honestly, like, I'm like, it's not bad. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, uh, yeah, for $3,000, it's fucking terrible. And I would have been pissed. 
But I wouldn't, first of all, I would never spend that much money to go to any fucking festival. I don't care who's there. The lineup that they were advertising was terrible, too. I don't know. You pay three grand to no, see I would Major never... Laser and Blink-182? No, I would not pay that much. <laughs> it's but crazy. I don't know. Migos and Little Yachty, there are like some famous people on there. But for that much money. No, like, no. You know what? I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I can't even fathom paying that much because I don't have that kind of money. I don't, I'm like, I don't even think it would be worth it if like Beyonce was headlining. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just ridiculous. And that's just the cheapest one. That doesn't include like amenities and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And you they know? want you to, they send out these like bracelets <laughs> for you to preload. Money in your stupid wristband where yeah. they don't have any Wi-Fi for it to work. But yeah, like at first, like, you know, they're like, oh my God. I'm like, oh, the tents look kind of dope. There's that, <laughs> and um, you get like an air mattress. That's pretty sweet. There's this one rich girl. <laughs> I think they use this clip in both movies. There's a lot of overlap in footage because a lot of it's from social media. Yeah. Uh, there's this lady on the plane who, as they're flying over, she's like, this is like low, 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 like economy class. <laughs> I was like, that's how I fly. It's I'm not like, that how bad. How else do you fly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you weirdo. <laughs> and that's the thing, like. It was very quick to make fun of all these kids who, like, got these hurricane tents and these cheese sandwiches because they can afford this kind of shit. And they're all, like, trust fund kids. and oh, like, totally. Or at least most people who went were, like, super rich, live this whole lifestyle yeah. where they never see problems. And this is a major problem that they're stuck in. Like, there's no way out. And once they're there, they just turn into like these like savages, and it's like a horror film, like right where they're like stealing toilet paper from each other, and like they're floating in like the ocean on mattresses. Isn't there a guy who is <laughs> pissing on other mattresses around yes, his tent yes. so that no one would sleep near him? Yep, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> Rich people are weird. It's so funny that they kind of brought up that whole like social media situation where. After that, the fire festival like insanity happened. How people almost looked at Billy McFarlane as a hero. Like I remember reading articles where it's like, this is like the dude who scammed all these rich idiots. Like he's like awesome, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. And then I'm glad I watched these because then I got to see like who really suffered. Like it wasn't those kids. I mean, whatever. Like they had like a shitty weekend. That's it. The people who suffered, people who like worked and the laborers and things like that. Yeah, like I didn't even think about them. Tons of day laborers who like like erected this festival, created all these structures for it and tried to turn yeah. what was basically like a parking lot into this like, you know, festival grounds. Right. And they did a decent the job for it looked how nice. little time they nice. had. I like the dome tents. I thought they were very chic. I mean, I would totally camp out in one of those. Yeah. I'd be a little pissed if I was promised a villa and I got there and I got a pissed a tent instead. But <laughs> a tent full of urine from that guy, from that one asshole, <laughs> from that one dude that just started peeing on all the mattresses. And I think yeah, like maybe fuck Jerry and them should have mm-hmm. known like how badly this would have gone before it fell apart because early in the the Netflix one that mm-hmm. actually walks you through the story, there's the sequence where they show you filming. They show you them filming the promo that originally went out and did the festival. <laughs> so ridiculous. And Billy and Ja had no plan. They had no like shoot schedule or anything. Their whole idea was like, let's just get these beautiful models out here on these yachts. And, like 250 grand a pop. And like the shit they were doing, they were like, oh, the influencers. Like they were more into like getting influencers and actually like making this festival happen. Like they were paying them insane amounts of money. They were promising them free villas and all this crazy stuff. And they also paid $250,000 for Kendall Jenner to just post once about the fire. Her orange. Yeah. The orange screen. And that's why the uh, 
laws about influencers having to like note that they're being paid to advertise stuff has happened because she didn't really know what she was endorsing. She just took the two fifty grand and that was it. Like <laughs> ten seconds of work. I would not turn that down. So I want to ask you, like Netflix shows Fuck Jerry filming this like promo for them, and supposedly the Netflix version is unethical because Fuck Jerry was involved in the actual production of it. Mm-hmm. Do you think Fuck Jerry comes out looking good in the Netflix movie? In no. Chris- I don't think so either. I don't think so. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't feel bad about liking the Netflix one and it being produced by Fuck Jerry because I still hate him just as much. Or, like, not hate. It's a strong word. Or just, like, it's like I don't want to support him. But, I mean, I watched it. Yeah. But I don't think it makes him look b- good. I don't think so either. This is not good PR for them. No. I got a couple invites to, like, this press thing for this movie. Mm that fuck jerry was like promoting and i was like i don't want to get involved in that (laughs) yeah really bad because like you know all these like indie movies that are like promoted by them and these like indie artists that fuck jerry promotes aren't all billy mcfarland types right but like there's definitely like a brand problem with that company now that you see that name and it does not it's put a good taste in your mouth right and you know maybe this was his way of like almost redeeming himself because I, I did like the way it was done. I'll give him that. Like, I like how it was focused on those who, like, actually worked really, really hard and got really, really fucked over. I like how he shed light on that and that some good things came from it. So I guess we should talk a little bit about just the footage of the horror of being stuck there. Yes. Uh, it does feel like a small portion of both films, right? Like, I feel yeah. like what you want to see is kids in peril, but a lot of that footage and a lot of that iconography has been sort of disseminated through blog posts when it like first happened right uh-huh. so we've already seen the cheese sandwich and we've yeah. seen the tent everyone on the bus that's like oh no turn the bus around it's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty funny clip. it's so funny what i really liked about the netflix um documentary was how it doesn't even like bring you to that part of like the just the terror of the festival it shows like how it was portrayed where the first one the one on hulu didn't really do that but it shows like the the promo for it the party on this private island and what was so annoying is how they were like pablo escobar's island and i hate how people like almost like make him like oh cool pablo escobar i want to be just like him it's like he's a fucking murderer murderer. (laughs) he's a piece of shit that like you know violated human rights and but if you've heard his name dropped in a few rap songs then you know right it's almost like he's glamour like a glamorous same thing with el chapo yeah it's so weird so i was like god what a bunch of idiots at this point and like and it was so funny how like they put like a million dollars down on this private Pablo Escobar Island. And the one thing they weren't supposed to do was tell people or market it as Pablo Escobar's Island. And that's the first thing they did in the promo in the promo. And then they were like, okay, well now you can't use it. Bye. <laughs> so that like fucked them over royally where they had to find a new place. And then that's what made them have to pick that, you know, shell lot next to the sandals resort to make their festival. It's just, they're so ignorant and full of themselves and they kept getting fucked over and over again. And I thought that was nice where it's like, wow, they're really getting punished. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. Being idiots. This is nice. They did not get away with it. No, they didn't get the private Island, which would have been shitty in the first place. Cause they were like, we don't have enough room for people on this Island. It's impossible. And the conditions are really, really bad. And as people are bringing up, you know, issues like transportation and toilets and stuff, 
They're just not listening. Like, they'll fire people for asking too many questions. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I liked the Netflix one so much. That guy, Mark uh, Weinstein. Is he the airplane pilot? He's the guy with the bun, the man bun Uh, that was going to be like the yoga instructor that really talks about how, like, he's like, it was just terrible. Like, he kept bringing it to their attention. Like, you're lying. You're lying to people. And they would, like, just spin it and be like, well, we'll figure it out. And how, like, everyone knew they were lying. And, like, everyone was telling them, like, this is wrong. We don't have, there's, we're not going to be able to do this. And they just kept procrastinating, which is such a millennial thing to do. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you just wait to the last minute and you hope it all works out. And then, like, yeah, it kind of doesn't sometimes. I mean, I identify with that. They didn't really talk about that in the Hulu one, though. When they were trying to prescribe what's wrong with the millennial generation, they didn't talk about the fact that we... We just ignore shit until, like, it's the day that it happens, and you're like, God, this just blew up in my face. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that happens to me, like, almost every week. (laughs) So I identify with that, and, like, I understand that, but, like, I would never take it to that extreme. Yeah. And it's just so crazy how, like, to solve one issue, he would, like make a bigger issue where you know they had no money for anything so then he's like oh let's do a wristband thing and then we'll take the millions we get from like the wristbands that people are gonna put money on to spend on shit we don't have for them to like get shit for them and that's the clear never worked that's the clear case of fraud right is that he's borrowing money Mm -hmm. based on these figures that he doctors he like fakes these documents saying that he has so much money so that investors will invest and then he takes their money and just extends (laughs) the deadline so that you know, that procrastination thing you're talking about, like, he pushes the goalpost for another two weeks, so uh-huh. he doesn't have to worry about it again, and then, you know, it reaches a point where the festival's supposed to happen, and it's just not together. <laughs> it's not there. Yeah. That's probably the only thing I can identify with in this whole film. Um, well, both films. <laughs> but um, I like how they talked a l- more about his magnesis company. Oh, jeez. Which is so stupid. So, let me understand this correctly. <laughs> So it's just your normal credit card that you already have, and they transfer the magnetic strip from that to a heavier black Mm -hmm. credit card to make you look important. Yes, 100%. And you have to pay to have it. So you're paying a monthly fee, but you get to hang out in the Manhattan clubhouse. Which is another version of fraud, because he promises all these like Hamilton tickets and Beyonce (laughs) tickets, things that he has no access to. That is impossible to get, and like... That's just crazy to me. But, like, he did so well with the magnesis thing where people were paying, I don't know, like, what, 30, 40 bucks a month so they can go have a wine tasting at this, like, cool Manhattan penthouse or whatever. And, like, the whole thing, it was all image. It just shows how, like, the millennial generation, which I think, like, we're a part of, but we're not really millennials like i don't think we care about image too much except for mardi gras we want to like show out for crew divine <laughs> yeah i want to be fabulous yeah we'll be fabulous then but like i don't care what my fucking credit card looks like i'm not i don't care about telling someone like hey i have exclusive access to this really cool penthouse like i don't care like i, I don't care that much i feel like that's the difference like that. between millennials and trust fund kids and like yeah people with money <laughs> there it is this is a trust fund millennials which we are not yeah <laughs> we're like the bottom of the trash heap and I feel like the Hulu documentary tried to group us all in like one yeah. heap. And it's like, no, this is a whole world separate from <laughs> right. me. Like, I, right. don't, I do not know these people. <laughs> Who are they? Yeah. So I liked the whole the Magnesis thing. That to me was insane. Like, I think that was the craziest thing. And I'm like, wait, people are paying 
to have a metal card to you so it looks cool like that blew my mind and then like that sent me down a internet rabbit hole of other shit like that that exists and it's insane and then at the end of the film once he's already on trial for fraud he starts another fraudulent app yes and has other people do it and then films his crimes because he's fucking insane he's delusional he's so delusional and that's the thing like it's so obvious like not that i like have any psychology degree or anything but this was a kid who grew up never being told no and never being like hey you can't do that and if you do here's a consequence for it where he literally got arrested (laughs) is in insane amount of trouble fucked so much shit over and then what does he do the minute he has access to a phone and a computer again makes another fucking scam where he's like tickets to the met gala which that doesn't exist like you can't just buy tickets to the met gala like that you're invited and he's like trying to be like well if we get enough money for it i could probably figure out a way to actually get the tickets and it's it's just like no like you got in trouble you're in trouble this is like a big deal and your mom and dad can't buy your like you know you out of this well we don't know about that they probably can oh i'll be so i don't i feel like another thing i was gonna bring up is like i feel like having something so publicized like this like i really think that I don't know. I feel like he's going to be more held accountable. Like, I think if that happened, I think all hell would break loose and people would, somebody would probably like, there's going to be a lot of turds on his doorstep and one of them might be mine. It's going to be really hard to find a jury that hasn't seen these documentaries. Oh, you're right. People who have like, don't already have like a pre You know who it's going to be? Old people who hate millennials and he is so fucked because like, you know, we're the ones watching this stuff. You know, the people who are going to like be in the jury are like, what's Hulu? You know, and they're gonna be like, that boy did what? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I think it's going to be good. I don't know. I really I don't think his punishment is severe enough because like what he's facing six years and it's like, oh, and he can never be CEO or director in a company. And I'm like. What? <laughs> what we see at the end of the film is him using these like basically young black kids to Ugh. be the front of this like other app he's trying to launch uh, with like the Met Gala tickets. <laughs> and so even if he's not CEO of some company, someone's going to have to keep an eye on him because he yeah. will use other people to front whatever bullshit endeavor right. he's like trying to launch. A hundred percent where I'm like, that's not, th- I mean, that's not going to stop him. You know, because, I mean, he's just going to make weird shit happen. I mean, I don't, I just, ugh, it's just really disappointing that that's it. Like, six years, and obviously he's, I mean, anytime a sentence is that long, he's probably going to be in prison for, like, not even half of it, which is very sad. God, I just want to see this guy, like, do, like, a reverse Cinderella. Like, a, you know that movie Made to Order with Ali Sheedy? I've never seen that. It's a reverse Cinderella story where her fairy godmother is Beverly D'Angelo. And she's a rich, spoiled kid, and she becomes, like, the maid. That's great. <laughs> so he needs to get a maid to order. Yeah. He needs that. Like, someone needs to be his Beverly D'Angelo. Um, maybe I can, like, write his lawyers. Hopefully that'll like, be a federal judge. <laughs> it just sentences him I want to it to poverty. be me. Like, yeah. I want it to, like, I want that to be, like, my job is just to make Billy McFarlane's life a living hell and the federal government pay me for it. You've got like a uh, fairy godmother like tutu made of like trash bags and Yes. I'm yeah. just like a garbage woman and I follow him around and he's like hey Billy you suck. Like, I, just, <laughs> I just like follow him around to, like an O'Doyle. Like, yeah I was thinking of Adam Sandler movies. You suck you Billy. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of like Billy Madison. Yeah a little bit. Whoa. Spo- Is Billy boy. like a weird spoiler rich boy name? It makes you sound like a child. 
definitely an overgrown man child. Very true. Like whenever things aren't going his way, his reaction is to get blasted drunk in the middle of the day and either ride his ATV ATV or just pass out in the middle of the sand. (laughs) What an idiot. You know, all these people at these production meetings watching him just fall asleep in the middle of the day while filming the promo or spill beer on the uh, blueprints for the... someone worked so hard on. Yeah. And they like that, uh, like stuff like that, like irks me where I'm like, how did no. you not bail just seeing the CEO <laughs> spill beer on your blueprints? And not care. Right. Like that shows you, I think, I don't know. It kind of was um, a learning experience for me too, where you see how like these behaviors are an insight to what's ahead. How like, at, you know, I don't know, like at, at my job in general, like whenever there's something that it's like, hey, like, do you want to join this project or do this? And like you kind of and if something feels weird, mm-hmm. it's it probably is weird. weird. Yeah. And trust your fucking gut. Like yeah. a lot of these people like we're talking about how like they had a feeling, but they didn't go with it because they were like, well, I mean, this guy's legit. You know, they had all this trust and they didn't go with their gut instinct. And the company did have a lot of like good PR ahead of time. So there were some people who raised concern about Mm -hmm. the disaster that was imminent. Uh, And that's actually where the title fire fraud comes from, is that someone started a Twitter account called fire fraud that was just tweeting all day about how the festival was going to be a disaster. no one was paying attention attention. to it. Um, And I don't know about you, but I don't remember any articles about the festival at all until the cheese sandwich was tweeted out. Me too, because we don't obsess over Kendall Jenner and yeah, that's not the hot deeds and stuff. Like I'm not like ugh. after the flat tummy tea they were trying to sell, I'm just like, I can't deal. <laughs> I used to watch the soup for that world. Like the yeah. soup would give me like thirty minutes of that side of pop culture. Mm-hmm. And I just don't get it anymore because it got canceled twice. The only people I follow are the Hadids because of their mom. Because she was a Beverly Hills housewife. (laughs) And that's the only reason. Just in case I get a glimpse of Yolanda Hadid on their account, that's the only reason I have them on my Instagram. (laughs) You know what I like for gossip is this uh, podcast called Keep It. Oh. It's just like this really like mean, sassy gossip roundup. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's good. It's fun. Okay, cool. Well, in summation... We liked the Netflix movie, yes. The Party That Never Happened. So much better. Fire Fraud, I think you could skip. If you're that curious to watch two movies, sure. I'm sure there's yeah. some bonus content in this one that isn't in the other one. But I feel like the Netflix one tells you a pretty clear story from front to end. Right. It's so informative and Hulu just, they fucking dropped the ball on that. Even, maybe this is going out on a limb a little bit, but even the Netflix movie, I don't think is necessarily that great of a movie. Knowing that the guy who directed American yeah. Movie also did this, yeah, it doesn't feel like it has that kind of pedigree. It's, I think just because we're comparing it to something, it makes it seem it like seems better. better, but it really isn't the best. It's a clearly told story, and it's got like a sort of professional, logical, clear mm-hmm. progression to it, but I don't think it's like a feat in filmmaking or like excellent cinema. I think you watch it because the story's interesting, and like that's yeah. it. There's one thing that we forgot to mention. Okay. That um, sparked a bunch of memes on its own. Uh, the blowjob story. Andy King and his, the you know, suck dick for Evian. <laughs> so I think that one's similar to American Movie <laughs> oh in that a lot of people find that very funny. And I just find it, it really was so sad. sad. You know, all the memes that came out after that where it's like, how will you be paying for your meal? And it says like MasterCard Visa and it has his face. And I was like, oh, like, you know, everyone thought it was so funny. And it, it's funny in a weird way. But like. 
I'm just like, I cannot believe that this poor man really thought that he was going to have to suck the dick of this customs agent for to Evian. get Evian water for a bunch of like spoil millennials. And it's fucked up for like a bunch of reasons. Uh, yeah. Not 100%. least of all that this guy is the only veteran like businessman mm-hmm. in this organization. So he's been working decades while these like young kids are like the disruptors who are trying to yeah. change the business. He's the only like guy with any experience there. Yeah. On top of that, he's the only like from what the way they put it in the Netflix movie, he's like one of the only gay people that high yeah. up in the staff. That's why Billy was like, "You're a gay man, so you're gonna have to suck someone's dick because you're the only gay man." That so was insane. That's a hate crime, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brandon. Okay. It's a hate crime. Just checking. That's how it read to me, and I was like very depressed by right. it. Right, which made me feel like I mean, obviously, I don't think this guy. I think he's a victim of anything that the that Billy like used him for that, which kind of makes you, you know, oh, you know, he's a bigot too, Billy McFarlane and an abuser. But I loved like all his like monologues or whatever, like his time with the camera. I really enjoyed like I could hear listen to him speak all day. He reminded me we we're talking about kind Tim of project yeah. earlier. He's like Tim Gunn. I get it. Where he speaks so like eloquently and clear and he's the same very, shock of like white hair. Yes. Yeah. And just that very very talks like this. Like, yeah. that, like that deep, very like shocking. If you voice. needed like wine tips, I'm sure that guy has some oh, great wine tips. I would love to listen to his wine tips. So I really enjoyed his perspective. So I think that Andy King and um, Mark Weinstein, they were like really cool. I re- They were like stars of this documentary. They're no Mike Shank, but I, I did appreciate No, that. they're no Mike Shank. <laughs> God, what a weird guy. Do you remember I that? can't believe he's real, Brandon. We didn't talk about that scene where like Mike Shank is this like, this is going back to American movie, by the way. Yeah, um, why not? Why not? Yeah. Mike Shank is this like really quiet, like soft-spoken guy talking about his lottery tickets, and then they bring him into the uh, dubbing booth to record his his screams, and he just shrieks. Terrified at the top volume, and it's it's like a, from the pits of hell. He has a lot of bottled-up anger. Yeah, he kind of um, is like a more metal version of Tiny Tim, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. I buy that. Like <laughs> childlike. Very innocent, soft-spoken, but, but like... But has obviously seen some shit. Seen some shit. I mean, can you tell that the guy who made American Movie made Fire? Do those have anything to do no, with each other? not at all. I don't think so either. They're so different. Um, the styles are even different. Yeah, like, American Movie reminds me of that Errol Morris documentary you watched for Movie of the Month, yeah. um, Gates of Heaven, the one about the uh, mm, Pet Cemetery. Yeah. It's got that kind of, like, you know, human interest, like, quirk thing. Um, whereas the fire festival documentary Chris Smith did is more it's like pre-recorded footage for the most part too, with a couple of like blurbs from yeah. people. I mean, maybe that's a difference in eras, like the difference from the nineties till now. Also, I just think maybe if there's something that links them, just the two men at the center, like Mark Beauchart and, uh, Bill McFarlane are both <laughs> failures and their projects right. never came out the way they were supposed more to criminal than the other, They're but both alcoholics, but, you know, as troubled and as, like, um, irresponsible as Mark Beauchard is, I don't hate him the way no. that I hate Billy McFarlane. Oh, yeah, Billy McFarlane sucks. <laughs> yeah. What kind of boggled my mind, too, just to show how, like, uh, how, like, self-absorbed, like, the whole Firefest crew is, is that they had all this footage, like... They thought they were the shit and this was going to be like history in the making. So they probably paid like a fucking camera crew to follow them around and like film how like great they were. Yeah, there's a lot of footage to work with. That's for sure. So much where I'm like, where did this come from? Like, and you're filming your own crimes. 
ultimately so yeah there's so much evidence so hopefully that means that some sort of justice will yes. be done oh my we'll god see. let's follow this case and <laughs> well, see what happens i'll say even even though like these two movies came out a while ago they're still like developing news about it yeah and even making a movie this soon after 2017 when the festival happened it feels like kind of premature like there might be more stuff that happens that we don't even know about so, so we might get some more like fire festival the party that sucked the like yeah. the second part <laughs> do you remember that like movie about the late night wars when like jay leno and uh david letterman were like fighting for the nbc spot no. uh there's like a tv movie about their like um not their fight that. maybe there'll be like a tv movie about the two documentaries fight <laughs> to like beat each other to the punch and yeah blows in the headlines i just feel like there's a lot that's gonna like because this is so explosive like it's sort of like it happened not that long ago and then it kind of died down like you remember it, oh like cool whatever you know people lost money and then the documentaries came out and it got the hype back up again so now like there's talk of like movies being made about it with like real actors playing like billy mcfarland and you can't like not look at like you know buzzfeed or like some kind of pop culture news site without like coming across something fire festivaly um, so it's just cool how that like kind of resurfaced and it's big again. I've already pitched you my movie idea. Yes, and which it's is excellent. That yeah, all these rich kids get to this island and it's a sequel to society, so that they shunt all the poor workers <laughs> who live uh, in the area, and something goes wrong, so that they have to fake the disaster of the festival to explain why all these um, right. people have died. But it was really a shunt. But it was really a shunt. Yeah, <laughs> just a shunt. Secret secret shunt. <laughs> <laughs> on Pablo Escobar's private island. Oh my god. God. <laughs> well, that's enough of that shit. Yeah. I'm glad we got it all out though. Yeah. You real it's like you know everyone's like, "Oh, you can't make this shit up." Like you really can't make this shit up. This is crazy. It's a great story, which is I think why the Netflix one is a good movie because it tells a great story, uh-huh. even though it's not like a like particularly like amazing <laughs> film or anything. It's, it's not Grey Gardens or something. Right. Like, it's not like a great documentary. It's just a good story told clearly, it just, which the it's Hulu still, one does not do. It still boggles my mind where this is one of the most unappealing festivals, I think. I mean, I know like we live in this like festival era where like, you know, millennials like will spend thousands of dollars for their festival outfits like per day and no one goes to like listen to music. They just go to like be there and Instagram like, opportunities and Instagram opportunities and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm like, just nothing was appealing about it. I just can't see. I don't know. I just feel very disconnected, I guess. Like, even if I was, like, a bajillionaire and I had all this money, like, I don't even think I would have gone. (laughs) Even now, like, the only (laughs) festival I go to in any regularity is Jazz Fest. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's four blocks from my house. I usually go there for, like, two or three hours and then walk um, back home. What if Billy McFarland, like, starts to, like, do some weird Jazz Fest shit? I mean, he's not any more or less evil than Shell Oil, who is, uh, promotes it right now. So, (laughs) it wouldn't really change that much. Oh, my God. I'm just, like, a... Like, I wonder if he's just going to be, like, this villain that we keep, like, seeing reoccurring. Like, what if he takes over, like, Bayou Boogaloo? <laughs> <laughs> like, he finds, like, small festivals and then he, like, makes them crazy. <laughs> Watch what out. A, what a super villain from, like, a uh, comic book or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's an M. Night Shyamalan version of that story. Festival horror. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> Actually, there is a uh, festival horror movie coming out this year from the director of Hereditary. That just occurred oh to me. God. Called what? Midsommar. Yes. I saw the A24 movie mm-hmm. where yeah. it's like very Wicker Man-y kind of. Yeah. yeah. It looked like it was like a sunshiny Coachella type festival in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Europe. A bunch of cool pagan shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm I saw that. It. I saw the preview like when I was um, watching like something on like 
I don't know what website I was on, but fucking look great. I saw it in front of Climax. Ooh. So I saw it in the theater. Yeah, cool. Another reason for me to see Climax. Yes. <laughs> I love like movie trailers on the big screen. <laughs> well, we're going to try to do more of this stuff soon where we're talking about like newer films and mm-hmm. less movies. We're going to try to like keep it down. More on that to come. Yes. We're not going to quite change up the format of the show yet though because we want to do an episode on Matt Farley who I referenced earlier. Uh, who's kind of like a Mark Beauchart type, but not a drunk and actually makes movies regularly. Just drinks a lot of coffee milk. So if you're interested in like the uh, American movie style where it's like a micro budget filmmaker just doing what they can to make films, I think you'll like the next episode me and Brittany do together. Yes. Uh, And it'll be about Matt Farley's films. I mentioned this now because since we watched Local Legends, which is... My favorite film from him uh, for our movie of the month for April. He posted a song about me that he recorded. And I'm going to include that at the end of this conversation just so you can get a taste of Matt Farley's amateur art style. Uh, I really want everyone to watch Local Legends, though. It's on Amazon Prime. It's free. It's like 70 minutes. And if you have any interest in like what amateur art production like is in the 2010s and how embarrassing it is to be an artist in the modern world. Like it's such a masterpiece for that. I think. Did you like local legends? I I liked it a lot. Okay. I had no idea. That's what it was going to be about. Period. Yeah. Period. That one's sort of like a meta movie about his art making style. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I are going to get into his more regular thing, which is like these backyard horror comedies in the I'm, style of COVID. I'm very excited for it. Yeah. We're going to watch a couple of those as well. In the style of COVID. Yeah. In the style of COVID. <laughs> you know, my favorite three Matt Farley movies is what you and I will do um, okay. in a couple episodes from now. And uh, I'll leave you with Matt Farley's beautiful dulcet tones singing about me. Mm. Uh, I hope you get a good, nice laugh out of it because it's hilarious. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Brandon Lidday, Swamp Lake's guy. Brandon Yeah.